Well, have you ever been so excited about something that you just couldn't contain it? Now, guys, I'm talking to you for a second, you know, sports fans, and some of you may have a favorite team that, let's say they won the Super Bowl, the World Series, and I don't know about you, but I know some guys have, not me, but some of you guys have sort of the, the victory dance in the living room in front of the TV, right? High-fiving the guys and just that celebration moment. And gals, I don't think there's anything like that, but maybe for you there was a moment where you got engaged and you had the ring and maybe there was the selfie and the Facebook and you just wanted everybody to know how excited you were of this particular moment. Maybe some of you might feel like even singing, now, that's kind of interesting. Uh, we know that they're singing in movies. We think of Maria and The Sound of Music. By the way, that's Joe Kelly's favorite movie and my wife Claudia's favorite movie. So I don't know if that embarrasses you or those others that would say, yeah, it's my favorite movie too. But, you know, she spins around in the, in the Alps and she's singing. And then we think of Eliza Doolittle from My Fair Lady. I could have danced all night. And all these expressions of joy that are there. But we also have expressions of joy in Scripture as well. As we think in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus chapter 15, verses 20 to 22, Miriam, who is the sister of Moses and Aaron, she's with all these other gals, and they're looking back after they've crossed the Red Sea, and they can see that they've made it, that God has done a miraculous thing. And, and she looks back, and as the water engulfs, the Egyptian soldiers. She has the song, verse 20. It says, Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her playing tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang the refrain back to them. She sang, Sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. So she's dancing around, and she's got this tambourine, and I, I think she's got a sense of humor here because she calls it an overflowing victory. As you think of the water that engulfs the uh, Egyptian soldiers, is it just me, or, or maybe some of you think that might be kind of tongue-in-cheek on her part. But she's singing the fact that there's a hope of the nation now because God has done this wonderful thing, and she sings about it. We know in other cases, like 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah sang about the fact that she, through years of just weeping and crying out to the Lord for a son, that she was able to have a son, Samuel, a judge and prophet. And then we think in the New Testament, Zacharias, after the birth of John, he's got a praise to the Lord. We know Simeon, as Alex mentioned last Wednesday, he had a praise since he had a chance to hold the Savior in his arms. Wouldn't that be a sweet moment? And then the angels as well, they had songs of praise. Glory to God in the highest, as they sang. And so we know there's all these examples of praise, excitement, the song of hope. Jesus is our hope, amen? And so now we get a chance to look at Mary and Elizabeth. And just as a review, let's look at Mary. I know Alex shared a little bit of this last time, but as you mentioned, she's probably a teenager, maybe 12 or 14 years old, lives in this relatively small town, Nazareth. It's really a, a, nothing special about it. There's maybe a few dozen people, maybe a hundred or two that live there. And 
she's really a plain person. She's from a poor working class family, probably carrying on normal household duties. You might think of her as a plain Jane, really. See, because her fiancé, Joseph, he's the one that carries the lineage from the line of David. But there's nothing that says where her lineage comes from. She's just kind of a nobody. And, you know, some people might think that she's lowly in the eyes of the world. And maybe the rich and famous might have pity on her for where she's at. And they may think she's never going to come about to anything. She's just this poor family in, in Nazareth. Although we'll find out that she has found favor with God, right? And that's what Alex shared as well because of who she was. And we'll reflect on that in just a moment. And she's pregnant with Jesus. Now that's something that I don't think anybody could, could match. But this is really a rare thing and very miraculous and very special. And so as we look at Luke chapter 1, as we start with verse 39, just get a picture of this. So Mary, she finds out that she's pregnant, she's a virgin, and she's carrying the Christ child. And now she hears about Elizabeth, that's six months pregnant, and she was barren because she was old in age, and now she's got the forerunner, John the Baptist. And I'm sure Mary just couldn't wait to compare notes, wouldn't you? Just say, I... I just can't wait to talk to her and to see what she heard from Gabriel, what I heard from Gabriel. And it says in verse 39 now, Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Now it didn't say that she took her time and packed her bags very thoughtfully. She, the term is with haste. And I don't know if she had a chance to say goodbye to her friends, I'm going on a trip, or even to her parents, but man, she made a beeline out the door, I think, and she was just so excited to share the news with Elizabeth, and as I said, just to compare notes and see what was going on, and it said that she came and uh, she greeted Elizabeth. Now, this is probably about a hundred-mile journey, probably took her around three, four days to get there. And she's pregnant, so she really took a risk in going, but I think her excitement got the best of her, and she wanted to go and meet with, with Elizabeth. And so they both have something in common. They both are kind of at polar extremes, uh, old and barren, and she's pregnant. She's a virgin, she's pregnant. And I think they just wanted to just get together and rejoice. And it makes us think about family, and, and even as a family of believers, how we can rejoice together, one in another, just in how good God is to us. And I think sometimes we can come into the sanctuary and get our seed and sing praises to God and hear a sermon and, and exit without saying, how has God blessed you this week? Well, this is what he's done in my life, or maybe I need to, to get some prayer from you. And so this the sense of family is so important. And we see this here with Mary and Elizabeth. The body of Christ is such a tremendous family that we can take advantage of. And verse 41, And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, perhaps a knock at the door and, and just a shout from Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So now the baby leaps. John is six months old, and, and now the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. We know from verse 35 that Mary was already filled with the Holy Spirit. So here they are together. And then 42 says, and she cried out, and what does it say? With a loud voice. It wasn't a whisper. She didn't say, blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. A loud voice. You know what a loud voice is? You hear it at sports stadiums and other places. Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I'm sure she's just jumping up and down. Maybe the neighbors heard it. You know, maybe Zacharias is saying, okay, chill, take a chill pill. Just, just, let's just, she just walked in the door, gave her a chance to get settled. And she says, blessed among you, not blessed above you. Or blessed among women, not blessed above women. You see, Mary, this plain Jane woman, certainly is carrying the Christ child. She is not better than anybody else. And some of our brothers and sisters may elevate Mary to almost a Christ-like position. And we see from, from Elizabeth that that's not the case. Among means in the company of or a member of. And maybe some of you have seen, let's say, a family at a restaurant and, and there's just abundance of kids and they're having a great time and you just go, man, they are just so blessed amongst families. I just look at them and they are so blessed. And sometimes I look at Claudia and we just say, maybe they are so blessed, you know, with all the couples that we know, we just feel blessed. And th this is really what, what Elizabeth is communicating, that yes, she is blessed, but she's not blessed in the sense that she has any special powers or abilities or any of that. She's not venerated to a higher degree. She is, as Elizabeth would say, man, are you blessed? And I think, I think uh, Mary would say, yes, I just feel so blessed that this has happened. And then Elizabeth says, as she continues in verse 43, and how has it happened to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And she's saying, how has it happened to me that this Christ child has come to my door like a special appearance? Of all the people that have, could have come to my door, this is the Christ child and and the mother of my Lord, Mary. And her focus is not on Mary. Her focus is on my Lord. Mary happens to be the person that's carrying her Lord. If you think of a person from FedEx that delivers a package to your door, you don't highlight the FedEx guy and say, sit down, let me cook you a meal. You're so special. It's really the present that's special, right? And this is what she's saying. How's it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Should come to me. Reminds me of the publisher's clearinghouse pictures. Remember those pictures where the, the person's delivering the big check of 
$50,000 and he comes to the door and, you know, the person opens the door and there's that photo moment where the person's receiving the check. But what a better thing than of, of Publishers Clearinghouse than the actual savior of the world in the home of Elizabeth. And this is why she's, she's so excited. And John leaps in her room. He's six months in her womb. And this makes us realize that a baby is not a, a, a blob of tissue, right? <laughs> it's not just this little substance where, where she's just carrying it until it's finally a human being once it's born. I mean, think of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Even before you were conceived, Jeremiah, I knew your personality, I knew your likes and dislikes, what you were going to become, all of these things about you. Even before you were conceived, you had this being, and I knew you in an intimate way. And this is why John does a backflip in her womb, because he's excited as much as Elizabeth, and he realizes, even in the womb, that there's the presence of Jesus Christ there with him. Isn't that amazing? That is so amazing. Let's look at verse 45. And I think Elizabeth, just, she just continued to go because she's, she's on a roll here. And she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Blessed is she who believed. She recognized the fact that Mary believed that this was going to happen. Mary might have been reflecting on Isaiah 7.14. You know it. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you believe this, that it happened in the Old Testament. And that you knew that God would keep his promises and that he would come true with his promise to bring forth a Christ child. We didn't know it was going to be you. I mean, Isaiah could have said, Behold, Mary will be with Christ and bear a son, or a child and bear a son. But Mary believed and she held on to that belief. I think this is one of the reasons why God found favor with her because she really believed Scripture the written word of God, do you? For you, is Scripture just a bunch of stories that you tell your kids at night? Stories that we can embellish and, and uh, kind of bring, bring out during the Christmas season? Or are they true events that happen, that are backed up by history and science Here's a quote from Vodi Bakum. It says, The scriptures are a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they report supernatural events that took place in the fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim their writings are divine other than of human origins. And so scripture is real. And, and Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you've been hanging on to this the promises that God has had. Blessed are you who believes. 
And so Elizabeth is rejoicing, is she not? She can't contain herself. She's so excited for what's happening with her, for what's happening with Jesus. But the thing is, she's really excited about hope. This is hope song. This is hope celebration because of Jesus. Yes, he's born in a manger, and we celebrate that. We're going to do that a week from tonight. But he was born for a purpose, right? He was born to grow to be a man, to die on a cross. As I look at the cross over at my side here, that was his purpose. Every day he woke up, it was one day closer to that for you and for me and to pay the price and to rise on the third day for our sins. So Elizabeth, yes, she's saying the Savior has come and she's excited. And now we're going to move the microphone to Mary and hear what she has to say. Now this next passage can be called Mary's song. It can be called Mary's song of praise. Some may call it, and you may have heard it referenced as the Magnificat. Didn't that sound good? The Magnificat. I wish I had an accent. I could just really embellish it, but I, I don't have an accent. And it's a Latin term, and it means, uh, it, the words are Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And the thing which is really special, why they call it the Magnificat, is because even though she's pregnant with the Christ child, she doesn't magnify herself. I mean, she doesn't say, are you pregnant with the Christ child? I'm pregnant with the Christ child, look at me. You know, and she could really get hung up on herself. You know, taking pictures, posting on Facebook, saying, look at me, it's six months with the Christ child. I've got the Christ child, it's me. But she doesn't. She always points up to the Lord. And as we'll read, she uses the phrase, he has, or the mighty one has, eight times as she recounts what God has done for her, what he's done for the world, and what he's done for Israel, three different sections. So if you're a note taker, the first section is what God did for Mary. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. And the word soul there is a Greek word, pshuche, again, terrible accent, P-S-U-C-H-E. And it means breath of my spirit. This is a, uh, a large word. It means deep within our being. You may say, in my gut, is what it refers to. She's not saying, intellectually, I, I exalt the Lord, but in my being, have you ever had that moment, whether it's a happy occasion or maybe a, a, a tragedy where you just feel it in your gut? This is what she's talking about. Every part of her being, she is just... Praising God for who he is. Again, she's not doing this out of pride. But oh, we can be prideful, can't we? It just pops up when we don't even think about it. It was once said that pride is the only disease that makes everyone else sick but the one who has it. Ouch. And I was looking on the web 
kind of looking up the word pride, and I found 101 positive things to say to myself. It says, what we think in our minds will eventually become what we believe. This is why it is so important that we start saying positive things about ourselves many times each and every day. And so here's an example. Number 15, today I will celebrate me. This is what the world is saying, right? Number 26, I am a good person. But what does scripture tell us? Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not one. Number 44, I like this one. I deserve to have good things in life. I deserve it. Do we deserve it? No, we deserve to stand before God's judgment seat, don't we? Number 58, note to self, you are, are amazing. And number 66, I can reach my goals. I am unstoppable. I am unstoppable. And I suppose Mary could have said any of those things if she was a prideful person, right? Look what I have accomplished. I was the one that was awarded the top prize of carrying the son Jesus. But that's not what she said. In fact, verse 47, she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God. What does it say? My Savior. You mean Mary needed a Savior like us? You mean she wasn't sinless? She wasn't perfect? We can think of her like that. We see pictures of Mary and all the angels are around and there's a lot of gold uh, that's around, and, and uh, we just think, you know, we almost want to worship Mary, but she says, no, I'm a sinner. Don't, don't worship me. I mean, she may have talked back to her parents or not done her chores or whatever, but she recognized the fact that she was a sinner and she needed a Savior. And she said, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. The Savior is, is here. He's within me. But more importantly, he's here. And I need the Savior, don't we all? We need the Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's really the bottom line. We've all sinned, including Mary. Verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. So this term regard really means consideration. He could have chosen anybody is what she's saying, but he chose me, had consideration for me. And why? Because she had a humble state and she was his bond slave. You see, she was ordinary. She didn't press on to just step on other people to get ahead. She was humble. She was meek. She was, in most cases, probably a very obedient woman. 
Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think she's in the last part of that. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And so she had this humble state and God recognized that. Can God use people that are humble? Yeah. Can God use people that are prideful? No. I mean, God loves the prideful people enough to sometimes humble them, does he not? So that they will be on their knees and they will look up and then he can use them. I'm sure we all know people who, who are either in that state or need to be in that state at some time or another. And then she considered herself a bond slave. And this is really a slave to God. Whatever he wants is what she's saying. Whatever you want, I want. Not my will, but your will be done. Doesn't that sound familiar? But this is where she's at. And so she's a humble bond slave, and so God has had regard for her. And generations will call her blessed, but blessed among women, again, not blessed as an individual that's higher than anybody else. And so if God can pick a humble person like Mary, kind of this plain Jane, could he not choose us to carry out his will, to accomplish things for him? I mean, she was certainly accomplishing his will through bringing the Christ out, but don't we all have an opportunity for God to choose us to do great things? Yes? Yes. And because of that, there's hope for us. Because God's in the business of using his people for his glory. We just have to ask the question, how do you want to use me? I want to be a humble bond slave, Lord. It may not sound appealing to the people that are on this 101 positive things list. But it's what you want. You want my heart. You want my obedience. You want me just to say, whatever you want, Lord, I'm there. However difficult or complicated, I'm there. And so there's hope, certainly hope. And Mary is singing about this hope. And then finally, on her part, verse 49, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, she didn't say he's done a great thing for me. Because that would imply that she's focusing on this one incident. And certainly it's major, but I'm sure that he's done great things for her throughout her entire life because it's plural. See, God is into doing great things, is he not? But we just have to be sensitive to that. And she probably has looked back on her life and said, yes, this is awesome, but you've done great things throughout my life. And I'm just here to celebrate you, God. 1 Samuel 12, 24, Samuel says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And even Jesus in Luke 8, 21, he cast the demon out of the man. And what does he say? Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So that's one of our things as Christians is to describe those great things to those that have no hope, that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and say, 
God has done great things. He is holy. He is he's mighty. There is a Savior that loves me so much. And this is what Mary's doing. She's just describing this. She just can't contain it, and she's talking about these great things. Yes, Jesus has done great things for us. He's given us hope of our salvation. He's given us peace within our souls. He's given us joy in who God is. And yes, he can use us like he uses Mary. He can use us in our neighborhood, in our workplace, amongst our friends, our family. He does this because he's into doing great things. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that. And now Mary's going to look through a broader lens. This is the second point. She's going to describe now what God has done for the world, for all of us. And so now she's not looking at what God has done for her and her humble state, but now she's just celebrating who God is. And it says in verse 50, And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Now, some may think of the word fear as being this trembling at this God, that there's flaming arrows and, and all kinds of, of shaking thunder, and that we're hiding behind the podium because he's such a mighty God. Yes, he is a mighty God, but the term is more a sense of awe and respect and, and submission to God. This is what we talk about when we fear God, that we have this respect for him. We don't shake his fist at him, but we have open arms and say, use me, Lord. And she says, and his mercy is upon generation after generation. Now she's saying from past to current to future, for those that fear him, he's got overabundance of mercy for them. Don't you, don't you want mercy? We all need mercy. You know, faith is receiving what we don't deserve. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. But mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And that's punishment for our sins. And so Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing, by the Holy Spirit. Oh, we need mercy. We need God's mercy. And this is what Mary is saying, that mercy is available from generation to generation. We just have to have this holy admiration and respect and awe for who Christ is. There's a story of Robert Robinson, who had been saved out of a life of sin through George Whitfield's ministry in England. Shortly after that, at the age of 23, Robinson wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Streams of Mercy Never Ceasing. Sadly, Robinson wandered far from those streams, and like the prodigal son, journeyed into a life of carnality. One day he was traveling by stagecoach and sitting behind a young woman, or beside a young woman, engrossed in her book. She ran across a verse she thought was beautiful and asked him what he thought of it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, she said. Bursting into tears, Robinson said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give thousands of worlds if I could enjoy the feelings I had then. And although greatly surprised, she reassured him that 
the streams of mercy mentioned in his song still flowed. And Mr. Robinson was deeply touched, turning his wandering heart to the Lord. He was restored to full fellowship. Isn't that a beautiful story? God is so patient, is he? Is he not? And now as she's talking about generation to generation, she's going to talk about three groups of people that God has, has blessed and has it it done great things for. The helpless, the humble, the hungry. Look at verse 51, the helpless. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud and the thoughts of their heart. The thought there is they're proud in their heart and they carry this out. Listen to Mark 12, 38 to 40. Jesus is saying in his teachings, he was saying, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. And what does it say in verse 40? Who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake, offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. See, God doesn't like it when people mess with his children. And so there's many helpless people out there. Isaiah 25, 4 says, For you, Lord, have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, and a shade from the heat. And we know that Jesus was into helping helpless people, handicapped people, powerless widows, sick children, paralyzed servants, those that asked for help. He was there to help them. Even when babies were being brought so that Jesus would bless them, he said, you need to come to me like this really helpless little baby in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, helpless so that I can do the work there. I can be the one to minister. This is Jesus' heart. Has God ever helped you in a time that you were helpless? That you needed help in some way, shape, or form? A problem that you had? Or maybe a bad decision? That you look back and say, gosh, God just saved me from that. I don't know how it happened, but I was like going this way and... and and he just redirected, or whatever it may be. This is what God does to help his children. And Psalm 121, 2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is into helping the helpless. And this is what Mary is saying. Oh, my Lord, you are such a wonderful God that you help these helpless people for your glory and your glory alone. And then she talks about the humble. Verse 52, she says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. And we know in the Old Testament how so many times that people just turned their backs on God and he was patient and he, he humbled them and they returned and he was there to welcome them. Second Chronicles 7, 14 and 15 says, And my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. God wants to bless the people that are humble. 
There's a story of D.L. Moody, who was the most famous evangelist in the world in the late 1800s, and people came from around the world to attend his Bible conferences in Northfield, Massachusetts. One year, a large group of pastors from Europe were among the attendees. They were given rooms in the dormitory of the Bible school. As was the custom in Europe, the men put their shoes outside the door of their room, expecting them to be cleaned and polished by servants during the night. Of course, there were no servants in the American dorm. But as Moody was walking through the halls and praying for his guests, he saw the shoes and realized what had happened. He mentioned the problem to a few of his students, but none of them offered to help. Without another word, the great evangelist gathered up the shoes and took them back to his own room where he began to clean and polish each pair. Despite the praise and fame he received because of God's blessing in his life and ministry, Moody remained a humble man. That's a wonderful example of humility. Amen. And so now we think of the hungry, and again, Mary is thinking of God's character and his, his attributes, and she's singing the song of praise, 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. And we know physically God took care of hungry people. As we look at the manna from heaven in the Old Testament for the Jews, they had a daily meal. I mean, yes, it was the same meal every day, but it was sustenance for them. And, it, and uh, humbly they took it and accepted it. And then we know that Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14. So we know there's this physical hunger. But then Mary's singing about the spiritual hunger. In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And so he fills the hungry with good things, with he himself, the savior of the world, and sends away the rich, the, the prideful, empty-handed, because he's got no use for them because they're not submissive to him. And so the hungry, the hopeless, the humble, this is the God that Mary sings about. We can read the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and really get the same story about how God really invests in those who seek him. And so our hope as Christians is that the things in this world may be or are temporary and we may be in a position where we're, we're not in an exciting place in life. You know, there may be stresses, there may be things that we have grief about Maybe we're just overcome with so many things. And, and God says, man, there's going to be a day in heaven. It's going to be far better than any good day that you have here. And it's just a matter of perseverance. Sticking through it and, and reflecting on who God is time and time and time again. Because God is unchanging. He will never change. And I love that about him, don't you? In the midst of my circumstances, I can take a step back and say, but God, you're so good. You're so good. And this is something that Mary sings about. And we can sing with her. Amen. And now the third point, 
She talks briefly about what God did for Israel in verse 54 and 55. She says, He has given help to Israel, his servants, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even in Matthew 121, as Gabriel is speaking to Joseph, he says, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. This whole time in the Old Testament where there's everything is pointing to the Savior, the Redeemer. Everything is pointing there. God has been faithful to his promises. They were not seeing it yet in the Old Testament. And of course, there was 400 years of silence before we visit Mary and Elizabeth. But God was faithful to his promise, was he not? He brought the Savior into the world. Like he said, all the prophecies that pointed toward the Savior have been satisfied in this child, Christ Jesus. And I love Psalm 98, 1 through 3. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And Mary was singing this hope for Israel. Certainly Jesus is there for Jew and Gentile alike. But there's a special place in the heart of the Jews for Jesus. For they were the ones that were this recipient of this promise that he gave to them. And so last verse, 56. It says, And Mary stayed with her, meaning Elizabeth, about three months, and then returned to her home. She was most likely there when John the Baptist was born, celebrating his birth. And then she went home. What do you think she was thinking about when she was walking back home? Maybe what would Jesus look like? Or how, what are my parents going to think? Or what is Joseph going to think? Or what's my future going to look like? Or Whatever it may be. I mean, she had a lot to think about on this path home, don't you think? But yet we can see that as a result of what's just happened, that Mary's life and Elizabeth's life were never the same, were they? Because once Gabriel met with them and told them about them being pregnant with John the Baptist and Jesus their lives were never the same. And I would say that everyone that has an encounter with Jesus Christ, their lives are never the same either. How could they because of what God has done? Amen? Let's bow our heads. I just want to ask you guys a question. Do you have a song of hope in your heart tonight? Are you thinking of God and his attributes and, and what he has done for you? the things he's done, the promises that he's made, his faithfulness to you, the gift, the sweet, precious gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Perhaps that you don't have a hope song tonight. Perhaps you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're, you're going through some stuff. Maybe depression, maybe preoccupation, maybe stress, maybe all of it. 
And I encourage you just to think of his attributes. He's infinite. He's never changing. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's wise. He's faithful. He's good. He's just. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. He's holy. He's glorious. And on and on the list goes. This is our God. So I pray that you would think about how much he loves you. And if you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, why not tonight so that you can have this hope in your heart as well? Just a matter of just saying a simple prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need your grace and your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I accept him as my Lord, my Savior, and that he would lead me in righteousness to your throne. Lord, I accept them now. And if that's you and you made that decision, praise God. And may you be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we think, even about the shepherds that talk to the, the angels, the angels pointed to Bethlehem and said, go, let me show you what God has done Let me show you how wonderful God is by sending Jesus Christ. And the shepherd said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And Lord, you have made Jesus known to us as well. And so we celebrate that, Lord. 